Welcome to the Steadfast Carlsbad podcast. This morning's message was taken out of our 10 a.m. service. Let's jump right in, and we hope you're encouraged. Thanks for tuning in. All right, well, uh, we're going to be starting a, a study this morning. Um, I've been thinking about this for a really long time, and I've been kind of excited. Um, I've been deep diving a little bit into church history myself, um, looking at the past. I've just had a lot of things come up and realized, man, I, I, don't, I haven't really looked into that that much. So I've been looking at church history, and we're not going to have, like, don't worry, it's not two weeks on church history. You're, like, academic to the core. Uh, but we're going to look at the church as a whole, how we got the church, what is the church, and really what we're going to be covering is like the what, who, uh, why, and how in the next two weeks. So the first one is going to be what and who, and we're going to cover that um, and then go on from there. Um, again, it's, it's a two-week thing. Um, when we start home groups, we're going to be also starting the book of James. So th- that'll coincide with that. Um, but I thought it would be fun to do a two-weeker on this, and I'm excited about it uh, because there's a lot of questions like, what is the church? Generally speaking, when you think of the church, you think of, like, buildings, you know, and, and that's not what the church is, right? We do meet in a building, and thank God for buildings where we can meet, especially um, this morning I got here, and it was, like, so windy and so cold, and I'm like, I love we didn't even set up out there because it's going to be could be windy and anyway, having a building is not a bad thing. But that's not what the church is. What is the church? Is it, uh, you know, it's a is it a hospital? Is it a recovery center? Is it you know a place for a political rally or pep talks or a TED talk or is it a concert, entertainment club, social club, whatever? What is it? You know, that's so that's what I kind of wanted to look at, because the church is not a man-made invention. Now, you might see man-made interpretations of it, but it was set for a good and specific purpose. It's called the body of Christ and also called the bride of Christ. So we as the church are the bride of Christ. The Greek word for church is ekklesia. Uh, So like the theology would be like ecclesiology and um it means like assembly, congregation. So basically the church is by definition a multitude of people, multiple people. So um, yeah, so we're going to look at a few scriptures. We're going to pray, and then we'll, we'll really get into it. I kind of have an outline of what we're going to do over the next two weeks, um, and hopefully we can stick to it. Because, you know, putting 2,000 years of history along with... Uh, exhortation about where we're at now. We'll, you know, there's a lot. So, um, and I will not go super long. I will not go long. You guys can start tapping your, never, don't do that, please. (laughs) Ephesians chapter five, verses 25 through 33. We've already been told that Christ is the head of the church. We now see him as the bridegroom. We as the bride. So, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Then he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. 
For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Um, this imagery of both us as the body of Christ and then in fulfillment of unison and what is really marriage is intimacy. It's, it's really knowing someone at a deep, super core level. Like where, what does the Bible say when you become married? The two become one flesh. And so we as the church have become one with Christ in unison and we now, but, but we operate differently, just like as a husband and a wife. He is the head of the church. And there's all these different members of the body. We'll get into that in a second. But it's Christ who leads the church, who loves the church, who cherishes the church. Like a good husband would give up his life for his wife, right? You know, like if trouble comes, like what, what happens? Men, please tell me the right answer here. At least say it, you know. When trouble comes, I run, you know. We were talking once with this couple, and, and there was, they thought they heard something, and he like kind of pushed, he said, he, I kind of pushed my wife to go see what it was, and he realized, like, I need to, like, um, I don't know, take some testosterone or something, you know, like, because uh, he was just like, what am I doing, you know? Jesus loved the church so much, which is us, that he gave up his life for the church, despising the shame. He endured the cross for good purpose, for good reason. So um, I guess part of why I want to talk about the church is because there's such a, there's such a, there's so many negative, um, the people are real negative towards the church. And um, I just got to say, if you are negative towards my wife, I don't know how we could be friends. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, and so I think, we got to see the church for its flaws. And, and part of what we're going to talk about is, is how, as the church, we are constantly recentering ourselves and bringing ourselves back to that, our first love and, and remembering, really, and that's kind of what the point is here. It's not just to look at like what it is or what it was, but to, to be like, well, what, is the, what are the baseline things that we need to remember the church is supposed to be about? How do we stay aligned with that? with the great examples of the past? And then what's the extra kind of junk we've taken on along the way that maybe doesn't fit? Or, you know, there's all kinds of different directions you can go with that. 2 Corinthians 11.2, reiterating the bride of Christ. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that you may present. I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ, that the church would be pure. In Revelation, we see this, Beautiful marriage, supper of the Lamb, 19, uh, Revelation 19, verses 7 through 8. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the linen is the righteous acts of the saints. The church prepares itself. You know, just like if you're, you're getting married, you prepare yourself. Maybe you go to the tanning booth a little bit, you know, or whatever. And, you, you know, or like the diet really starts to kick in or I don't know. All of a sudden you're a jogger. There's a preparation that comes with becoming the, the, the bridegroom. So the church is set 
to, to set itself apart. Set, that's the idea of sanctified. And, and, and you've been with us for a long time. You know, uh, the difference between a holy or, or dead and a common thing, what would be used, is it's been dedicated. So we, as the church, recognize that we have this beautiful place. We are well-loved, which is something that we all desire really, really deeply. That's why, you know, your, your spouse can't love you enough. We're, we're, we need love on a level that's beyond anything earth can give us. And we're told we have that. We're, we're fully known and we're fully loved in God. So beautiful. With that in mind, we don't go around acting like we used to anymore because we recognize I am not that person anymore. I, th- th- that doesn't fit me anymore. That's not where I belong anymore. I, I, I don't need to keep on putting on the old clothes. I'm, I'm a new creation in Christ. And so as a church, as we're understanding our place with him and our relationship with him, which really fuels the whole thing, it inspires us to understand our place and where we belong. And then we get to join in with his mission. More on this. But the church is the bride. Bride has great value, but the, rela- but the value is best realized not in title, but in the fulfillment of relationship. You may say, oh, well, I'm this person's spouse or whatever, and it's just title, but you like never see each other and you don't know each other and you're like, just, it just felt like we wanted to be married to someone. It's like, that's not, you won't find the joy of marriage in that. You know, you won't find like what you're looking for because it's found through relationship. This is the same thing. Our position with Christ is best realized through relationship. The better we realize our position, the better we experience relationship with Christ as his church, as his body, as his bride. So here's the four questions that we're going to seek to answer again to this week to next week. So we're going to be looking at the what, the who, the why, and the how of church. So this week again, what and who. Uh, what is the church? This is our first question. Is it up there? Oh, that's, that's our old slide. Um, it's not Christmas anymore. Uh, what is the church? How did it originate? Uh, how did we get to where we are today? Which would be like looking at church history why are there so many denominations, <laughs> and why should we care? Uh, then we'll also cover who is the church, and how is it to be structured? What is the uh, difference between the universal and local church, and who is in, like who's in the church? Then next week we'll be looking at why is the church so important, what's God's plan uh, in mission for the church, and basically what's at stake. So next, this will be kind of like the, you know, understanding it all. Um, and, I, you know, there's a lot of practical to this. But then next week will be like, all right, then I'm stoked. Let's charge it. <laughs> like this should inspire us, right? So why is the church so important? What's God's plan and mission for the church? What's at stake if the church doesn't show up? And if it does, how, then uh, lastly, how is the church to operate Where do we look for authority? How do we appreciate what God has done while staying on mission with what he is doing now? 
So that's what we're going to look to cover. Um, and so, yeah, all right, let's go on a journey. <laughs> let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the church that you founded, that you established, that you value, and, and that we're part of it. This is, we're part of the local church, and yet we are part of like this long 2,000-year history of the universal church, of you know, that those that have gone before us. And we thank you, Lord. Lord, for your, your faithfulness, for your plan, that you didn't forget what you started. You wanted to use us, and you will, and you are. And you wanted a relationship with us, and you made a way again. So help us to enjoy that. Help us to be reinvigorated and, and have like a newfound love for the church. And that we would operate like so we could be that bride that just shows up, you know, just ready. <laughs> just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, number one, what is the church? How did it originate? How did we get to where we are at today? Why are there so many denominations? Why should we care? Okay. God started his intention to live and work with man in the garden, right? Where God sets it all up in the garden. You know, I, he, he started a work and he brought Adam in to, to continue it. Here, I've, I've set it all up for you and my intention is to work alongside of you and to give you things to do. And, and don't you know, if you're not busy, if you're not doing stuff, like in the sense of like you have, you're bored, bad things happen, right? If there's, there, we're meant to do things. You know, that, that's not to necessarily to define us, but we are meant to be participators. And so God set that up in the garden. Uh, of course, we know the fall happened. And, you know, with it is uh, the relationship was, was messed up. Uh, he then separated for himself a people in Abraham. He says, I'm going to make for you a people. I'm going to give you a land. I've got, I've got plans for you, Abraham. I got a lot of stuff. I, I, I have all these promises. There was going to be a fulfillment. You're going to be a blessing to all nations. You're going to be, you are going to be the people in whom I will work with. And he stuck to it, which were the children of Israel. Um, and, and, you know, not to get into all of that, but it was highly unlikely Abraham was going to have any kids, let alone, you know, sand, as many as sand as, the, as are on the sea and uh, are on the beach and, and stars in the sky. Yet God was faithful. And even as the children of Israel bobbed and weaved uh, God's blessings <laughs> and, and provisions and what he had asked them to do, he continues to work through them. And they, they struggle and he's like, all right, guys, all right, okay, I'm gonna remove my covering. And then all of a sudden they're like, okay, uh, God, we need you again. He's like, cool, come on, let's go. Then in Moses, what does he do? Uh, he defined a priesthood with the law. Um, he also separated out a people, and he gave access again, right, through the tabernacle, later through the temple. God, again, could dwell with his people. This is just showing the ark that God has always wanted to work with his people. Jesus then comes, claims to be the fulfillment of the law, which he was, and, and he starts a new covenant, and with it, a whole new kingdom. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How do you know what's coming? It's here right now. I'm here. I'm establishing a new kingdom, and with it, a new covenant. 
when, and, and Jesus, uh, as he dies on a cross, rises again, right? And then right before he ascends, he, goes, he gives the great commission and he then pours out his Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And with it, we see the beginning of the church age, which we are in now, where God is, his primary use and vessel is going to be through the church. The church will be his beloved. It'll be directed by him through relationship with Christ and by the filling of the Holy Spirit. The church will be used as God's chosen vessel to accomplish his mission. And without the church, we can't do this. So uh, the Great Commission, Jesus' last words in, in Matthew, he says this in uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He says, I have a mission for you again. You guys are going to be the ones that are going to go and make disciples. You're going to go and bring people in and ask them to come along with you and follow you. You know how I had disciples? Now you're going to have them too. And I think that something that's really important in the Christian walk in life, and many people don't have it, is people they're being discipled by and people they are discipling. People you're, you're looking up to and they're teaching you along the way and those that you're bringing along with you. How valuable is that? Maybe you have great you know, parents that have kind of helped and taught you and they've done a great job in continuing to be a guide for you. Maybe you haven't. Either way, we need people in our lives that we're receiving from and that we're you know, giving to, pouring into. It's a natural flow. So he says, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, which is uh, a symbol of death to life. You go in the plunge into the water and you come out a new creation, which we had an awesome baptism at the beach in August and it was beautiful. It was just so fun. Something about the sea being, you know, almost like angry too that makes it even more like, yeah, all right. <laughs> the violent death and then they come up, boom, new life. So make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all these things I've commanded you, that, that you're going to be disciplined in learning. You're going to know what you believe and why you believe it. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, and you won't be alone. So then Pentecost happens, right? Jesus ascends to heaven, and, and Jesus has said, when I, when I go, don't be bummed out. I'll send you the helper, the Holy Spirit. You'll be glad. He'll teach you and lead you into all things. He'll convict the world of sin. The third person of the Trinity will be in your midst. So at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls. And, you know, people are speaking in tongues. It's quite the sight. Everyone's like, they're drunk. Peter's like, we're not drunk. <laughs> it's the Holy Spirit. And he gives a message. And then in Acts chapter 2, we see the foundation of what the church was about right at the very beginning. It's simple. It's beautiful. And it's something that, we, we see modeled, and it's something that I think is a, is a landmark in Christians, where we should be, always. Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 47. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. 
So what, what's, what's he doing? He's preaching the word. They're baptized. All these souls are added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, teaching, learning, knowing what they believe, and fellowship, being together, and breaking the breaking of bread and in prayers. I love breaking of bread. It's really fun. By the way, um, in March, we're going to have a Seder dinner here, which is really cool. It's, it's going to be before, like almost like a month before um, Easter, but we're going to have uh, someone come in from Chosen People Ministries, and they're going to do full Seder dinner, and we're going to have a, they're like, do you want to have where they just kind of do it, and everybody sits down and listens, or, you know, where they participate, they have the stuff, or, and, you know, they, they do it together, or do you want to do all that and then have a feast afterwards? I was like, the feast one. <laughs> like, where we, where we get food, and we hang out. By the way, I mean, that's where our church shines, right? It's like, we bring food into the equation. I mean, who doesn't like good food? That's where we had the Christmas party, and it was just like, I wish I had more stomach here. So I mean, I'm out. I'm out of room, you know. Everybody's bringing their best. But to all this fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. It would be marked by prayers. And fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as they had need. So they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. There was power present by the Holy Spirit. God was, God was moving in their midst. There was a simplicity and just a joy in Jesus. They had genuine care for one another. They said, if I have something and you don't, and I don't need it, like, why don't I help you with it? They were meeting regularly. They were eating together regularly. One of the things that I think is cool is, you know, I know some of the, potentially you have the opportunity as home groups to decide if you want to do a meal every once in a while. It's kind of cool. By the way, if you're the host, you don't have to do all the cooking. You, I would suggest making a list of people, you know, Thanksgiving, eating together, having what Thanksgiving, this gladness and simplicity of heart. That's Thanksgiving. That's enjoying it. God, wow. I'm blown away again today. And then what happens? They have these lives of praise and they end up with this favor. Praising God and having favor with all the people and then the Lord added to the fruit. It's fruitful. So we have the early church. I mean, it starts right here, basically. This is the very beginning of it, as simple as it can get. Uh, the first church was gritty. It was rugged. It endured some pretty significant persecution, including martyrdom. We see Stephen martyred in Acts 7. Uh, and his response is just, it's mind-blowing to us, the way he handles that. We see uh, um, many of the early church. I've actually heard that a lot less were persecuted than we might think, but there was, it was notable. There was quite a bit going on. So some endured significant persecution, including martyrdom. Churches were being planted. Doctrine was being worked out. We get a lot of letters from Paul about this. These are churches he's talking to. Some of them are like a group of churches, which would be the, like the local churches, like to all the churches in Galatia. There's still doctrinal 
you know, organizational issues that they're working through and, and, you know, all that. But there's overall simplicity, clarity, and understanding of mission. It is so Christ-centered, and Paul is dead set. All the apostles are dead set on never, not going any to the right or to the left of that. It is all about Jesus. They started to have to deal with more stuff. We see um, the Council of Jerusalem in, uh, in, in uh, it's about 8050. Um, they, they started to have to clarify doctrinal disputes to avoid heresy. Um, Constantine, things, things are going on like this for quite a while. And then, and then Constantine gets saved. You guys know the story? Uh, Constantine um, ends up becoming a Christian, and the church goes from the outside to the inside. They're now, like, one with the state, and he starts, like, legislating Christian stuff. And it opens up brand new opportunities. He's a part of some of the ecumenical councils where they're deciding things like heresies and stuff. He's part, he's part of all of that. But it changes things pretty dramatically. And the church now is structured differently. There's a lot more time they have on their hands and a lot more afforded to them. So what was simple and kind of like rugged and, you know, hey, man, we're just going to keep on plowing away and and everything's going to be about Jesus and whatever. Now there's like more like assets and liabilities and stuff like that. Which if you find someone that has a bunch of rules, you can you you got to understand that there's a reason there's a bunch of rules. So like, uh, I'm, you know, Okay, I've known places with really tons of rules. Behind every rule is a story, (laughs) right? And so like sometimes they're really specific rules. Actually, it's really funny. If you look up like old laws that used to be a law, I remember there was one, I can't remember which state it was in, where you can't have um, an ice cream cone in your back pocket. You can't can't have one in your back pocket. And you go, okay, Please do tell, you know. And the idea was it was like luring horses, like to follow you and stuff, like horse robbery, horse thievery, uh, by way of ice cream in your back pocket. So, but the, the the rules are dictated by ah, you know what? This uh, you know what would be easier than like kind of staying fluid. Let's just let's just chop it up. It's gonna be this. It's gonna be that. It's gonna be this. It's gonna be that. And so it started what became the ecumenical councils, where they would deal with actually some really important things. This is where we get a lot of our creeds from. You want to know, like, like the Nicene Creed, which you know probably without knowing that you know a lot of it. <laughs> it's like the I believe in God the Father, and all of these different things where they defined exactly what it meant to be a Christian, deal with things like the nature of God, deal with things like was Jesus how, how does the man, God, how does that work out? You know, because you're dealing with things like Arianism and you're dealing with things like Nestorianism and all these different things that come in. You're like, okay, cool. But they have these councils that are working through these things. And in doing so, the church starts to get more authority. And they start saying, okay, well, then we've decided this is an infallibility and and this is some really good things happen, but also some stuff where you start kind of going, ah, I don't know. Some of that kind of got a little bit funky. Some of it kind of got a little wild or whatever. Uh, but as time goes on, you kind of keep collecting stuff, right? You, you, you clean your desk off. Spring cleaning. Oh, it's beautiful. It's perfect. 
And you just put one thing down. The one thing is the thing, you know? As soon as you set one piece of paper there or mail, now all of a sudden it's all the mail. Now all of a sudden it's like all the books. It's everything. And it's, it's because it's easy to accrue things as time goes on. And so we start to see what we call doctrinal developments and accretions where things are added on as time goes on. And so the early church starts looking real different within, you know, hundreds of years. There's some really beautiful things we can learn, actually, from church history. Some of the stuff where we've thrown out the baby with the bathwater that were practices that are so Jesus-centered practices. But as time has gone on, things are entered in, and, and all of a sudden there's like kind of some sketchy, you know, maneuvering or whatever, but for the first thousand years, the church is one. It's the universal church. It is, it is the, what they call the, the, Roman, the, the holy Catholic church, which is the universal, everybody. And then eventually we end up throughout all these different um, councils and, and things that are brought up. We have the great schism, which would be Eastern Orthodox to the east, and it's more complicated than this. I mean, I don't have much time, okay? Uh, but I think it's important to know. So you have the, the Eastern Orthodox, you know, which uh, a lot of Eastern Europe is involved in, to the East, and then you have the West, which would be the Roman Catholic Church. And so they go their different directions, and it gets compounded with the Crusades. And then, you know, their blood is shed. It gets, it gets kind of nasty and gnarly. As you, then as you go on, a little bit further down the road, what do we see in 1517? Martin Luther, a Catholic, Roman Catholic, nailed 95 theses to the door of a church in Wittenberg. Why? Because he's looking at corruption, and especially dealing with indulgences. And, and money, is, is, it's corrupt. And, and it's, he's like this. And he, by the way, was not trying to start a movement. He's like... Guys, we got to deal with this. We're off. And it, it's, it becomes kind of ugly and nasty. And with it becomes the Protestant Reformation. Now we're part of the Protestant Reformation. That is, that's where, you know, whatever. So you go, well, how are you split of a split of a split? And this is where a lot of it kind of comes down. Where is authority found? And part of the Protestant Reformation is that we are built on sola scriptura. The Bible is what dictates what we believe and why we believe it. This is where the kind of, there's a bit of a split where you know, the church has a little more authority, like say in the Catholic world and, and in the Orthodox world, whereas Martin Luther's like, I think, we, I think these problems started because this isn't in scripture and we've kind of gone totally sideways, which they later said, yeah, no, that wasn't right. So that kind of gets us basically to where we're at now. With the Protestant Reformation, there's a huge difference of, from, the, from churches that look way more Catholic to churches that are like wild, woo, wild, you know, across the board. Some are more high church, which is they view like things like sacrament a lot more seriously and in and, and the sense of like they... It's more like literal, like what is happening. And then there's some that are much more free. We would be part of the non-denomination, which is more in line with similar to Baptist kind of, you know. But we're, it's, it's, it's centered on 
the, the, the fact that this sola scriptura is where we align ourselves. Throughout all of history, we go, you know, the church has been really good and faithful, but like, I just know if I were to play telephone, if we were to do all these different things, and if, as long, if we don't have a baseline, it's easy to kind of go around. Now, I love, I love friends in all these walks of life that are believers, and they're awesome, but I'm saying this is where we're at, and I think that's really important to understand that the church that we're a part of and our history and our legacy is really, it's, it's there's for a good reason. You don't have to apologize about why you believe what you believe. So, Movement from high, uh, I also see right now also there's kind of a, a shifting where um, there was a, a total like disregard for everything high church because it seemed kind of like who can show up. And then especially in our, the Calvary Chapel movement was like hippies and barefoot and, you know, they're like, really, we can just come like this? And so there, there's that. But then now there's a kind of a move back to like reverence for God. And so we have, this is, this is why I wanted to talk about this stuff because I think we gotta find out where we're supposed to be. Where's the church supposed to be? Not dictated by culture or not dictated by like accretions of time, but like where are we supposed to be? Where do we line up? What does it look like to be a faithfully biblical Christian in 2024? Wow, it's 2024. Knowing our history also helps us to know who we are, why we're here. And, and again, it just gives us that ability to be confident in our position. We value tradition. We can definitely learn things from the past. I think that's I'm, what I've learned from, if you read some like the Desert Father, some of the old, like, you know, 200, man, it feels like they could be next to you. That's so beautiful. It's like, it's the exact same issues. It's the exact same stuff, and it's beautiful to listen to and hear. So what is the church? It's a, a, a um, fellowship of believers, part of the, the new covenant believers that gather together on mission that are gospel-centered, saved, and transformed by the blood of Jesus we are, uh, there's the universal church again from the beginning to the end. This would be like Paul is part of the universal church. So we are united with him from the beginning. All of the, those who have martyred and were killed for their faith or those who just faithfully lived, that, that's part of the universal church. And yet we're also called to a local church. This is our position where we're at in Carlsbad, California with our unique set of people and strengths and weaknesses and all of that, we are fulfilling our part as well. So who is the church and how is it to be structured? This is the second part. And what's the difference between the universal local and who's in? Church, collection of saints, kingdom priests to do the work of the ministry. We are a body. We are body. Together, we need each other to see the full picture of Christ for the world to see it and to operate it at 100%. One of the main things that would happen with our softball team as we, you know, just give me a second, it's been a while, is that we noticed that one of the, the major cons, uh, factors of when we started winning games was when the same group of guys would show up every week as opposed to like it flipping around, you know, everybody has to like kind of figure out a new spot or whatever and you kind of fill in, you're calling someone and you're like, I think they know how to play. 
like I played in high school, but they didn't. They played a different sport, right, Jacob? Um, it's an inside joke, uh, but not too inside. Um, but finding out, like, when you started to see, whoa, this is what our team looks like, and what were the characteristics of our team, we started playing really good defense, and we were, we were like, the fastest team in the league. By far, and also the most, the most handsome team, too. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But you start to realize what you're made of. And so the church... The church, this is what happens when the church, when there's people who decide they don't really want to do the church. They don't want to be part of a collection. Because remember, it's a gathering, assembly, a congregation. So even though it's like, it's not a building, but it is a gathering. So where, where are we? When we're, and I'll tell you right now, this church, when we're like, it's never 100%. We couldn't be. It wouldn't, we wouldn't have room. But if it was like 80, and it's every, you'd start to see functioning in a whole new way because we start to see okay wow so our small part of the body which is you know steadfast church in carlsbad north kent san diego county in california and the united states in 2024 we would see our place as each pieces of our body is aligning to make us who we are which is part of the greater part of the body, the global church, which has its place in history as part of the universal church. So stoked on this, get stoked on this. You're part of something so much bigger than you think. And, and there's, no, there's no one who doesn't have a place in this because it's, it's meant to be together. And if you're not around, we're missing you. Not just like, oh, we miss you. No, like we're missing you. Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. And he gave some to be apostles, some to prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. Note, the saints. Who are the saints? Look around. <laughs> you're saved. You might look around and you go, well, some of them. You know? No, it's, if, you're, if you're new in Jesus, if you've, been, if you've given your life to the Lord and you're a new creation, Welcome. Saints, sanctified, separated, dedicated to. Your life is dedicated to the Lord. Welcome. You never thought you'd be a saint, but now you are. Uh, so for the, so the, the point is, all working together for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So it's for the edifying or the building up of the body. So that when everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing, we're all stronger. We're all better. We all trust each other. We all know each other. If I'm playing, especially when I was playing left field, we got this guy, Scott, that plays left center. He's fast. And so I know I got to call it quick or else he's going to take it from me, you know? So you, gotta, you know who's around you, you know, or just let him have it, you know, either one. Till we all come to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son, Jesus Christ, to a perfect man. This is the idea is, uh, mature to the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ. Do you see what is before us? This is what the church is supposed to be maturing, not just, oh, I got saved, and then it's kind of like I'm, ch- I'm chilling. No, like we're, we're called to way more to the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him, 
who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body is, we'll stop for a second. Brad and I started filming or recording again for our, the podcast for Voyager. And we were talking about this and how easily everyone is thrown to and fro and how the, the, the really the way to combat this is to know what you believe. You have to know what you believe. And that's exactly what this is talking about, that you become matured. And how does that work out? In community, people doing what they're supposed to be doing. So this is a perfect segue. I mean, I wasn't planning on it, but you know, home groups. Where you're allowing people into your life and you're allowing yourself to learn from each other. You can get a lot of information from listening to someone or from a podcast or whatever. But wisdom is built in community. Wisdom is built with other people asking questions. I love good questions. Love talking to people with good questions. A lot of you guys get asking me really good questions. I enjoy it. It's fun. Because we get to like work it out. And you're like, I never thought about it from that angle. And then you're sharpening. This is the idea of like sharpening one another. You're like thinking, hmm, okay, wow. Now I, whoa, you know what that means? And it's like, it all of a sudden you're like even more stoked. You're like, that's, oh, whoa, that blows my mind. That means that this and that this, I just saw it from a whole different dimension. Of course you did, because it's a different set of eyes. If we were all to see one event, we'd all be talking about different sides of the event. One, because we would be seeing it from different places, and another, because we would have perceived it a little bit differently. It'd all be the same event. It'd have the same impact, but we would get a more full picture. That's like the Gospels. Different people saying the same story with a little bit of a different flavor. Well, because they're different people. And they saw it from a different angle, but you get more of a complete picture. That's why if a crime or something like that happens, you're looking for a bunch of witnesses. Who can give us the fullest picture of what just happened? So God's desire is that we, as a body, as a community, are built up so that we aren't tossed to and fro. By the way, if you have children, don't just think about yourself. Think about them. Because they really need it. You might be like, I know what I believe. You know. Well, they're, they're moldable. And they're prone to, be, to believing hype and well, you know, perfectly uh, crafted media. Because how is it even said? No longer children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine. Wind? Oh, boy. It's just like the diet fads. Yeah, that's gone. Okay, nobody cares about celery anymore. Okay, um, okay, you know, we're drinking regular coffee again, not mushrooms. Um, No, I'm just kidding, you know. Sorry, if you're into that, that's good. We got some some essential oils for you in the back. We we have them, we like them. Okay, Um, speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ from whom the whole body is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This is so beautiful, and this is why the church is so important, because I got podcasts. I can listen to this. I get this. You cannot get this from just listening. This is meant to be experienced in community. I'm preaching to the choir. You're here. 
referred throughout the New Testament. Uh, Christians are referred to throughout the New Testament, again, as saints, sanctified, but we're also called a church full of priests. That's pretty intense. What was the role of the priest Old Testament? Um, we're almost done. I'm hurry here. The priest was uh, someone who would go between a mediator, right? and between God and, and man, and would offer up sacrifices and be able to deal. We have Jesus as our high priest, right? We're told that Jesus is our high priest. We went over that a lot in Hebrews. Uh, and then now we're brought in as co-heirs to join in his priesthood, to be those that are mediators. This part of the difference, uh, uh, you know, beliefs in different church structures. We believe that everyone has the ability to do that. That's why we confess our sins to one another. It's what scripture says. We're able to like speak into each other's lives and pray for one another and to, you know, all of these different things. But we're, so we're uh, in Romans 12, we're told to offer our body as living sacrifices. We're offering up sacrifices to God. They're not, you don't have to kill animals anymore, you know. Uh, Hebrews 13, 15, we're to continually Offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is fruit from our lips, giving thanks to his name. We're still offering up our sacrifices. We're still standing as those who represent God to the world around us. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 10. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up in a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up a spiritual to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, behold I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. Saying Jesus is the center that we build all of this on, but you're called to something bigger than yourself. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were appointed. But, verse nine, but you are a chosen generation. You can almost say it to your neighbor. Say, but you, I'm not making you do that. Not that kind of a church, okay? Uh, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not attained mercy but have now obtained mercy. Beautiful. We're part of something so much bigger than ourselves. And, we're, and, and, and so if you, you're having a hard time taking yourself seriously and your walk seriously, uh, I think it's important to understand like, that the, the names that God calls you are is things like saint. Remember, I was working a, a real low-end job, um, and I was working hard. I had just become a Christian. I just was working really hard at it. I just wanted to do really well. And I moved up fast, and all of a sudden I was given a position that had a lot more authority, and I, I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know anything. 
But I recognized I was getting paid more and I had a different title and I had a different position. And this helped me to understand I'm not what I was before. So whatever I, even though I don't think I am or feel like I am right now, I don't fully, I haven't fully actually realized what I am. I've been told that and I'm going to act like that. I'm going to walk in that. I'm going to believe that even though I don't fully see it yet. And so maybe you feel nothing like a saint, what you think a saint would feel like. You feel nothing like what a priest would feel like. Have that, you know, but God is calling us into something beyond ourselves. But really, what's, what's the point? What's the goal? How, how do we do it? We proclaim a holy nation. It's own special people. Proclaim the praises of him who called you what? Out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're just ambassadors of everything he's done for us. So what do you got to be? You got to be a dead man that knows you need to live and then becomes alive again in Christ. That receives forgiveness for your sins. That changes your trajectory of selfishness and narcissism and self-centeredness and, and only living for yourself that will not fulfill to something where you're joining in something that's universal, way bigger than you, and that's local, right in front of you. This is God's purpose and place for the church, that we're called to be partakers in what he is doing. It, is, it goes back to Genesis, and it will go through to Revelation. God is working through and in his people to represent him to the nations, to be the vessels in which he accomplishes his mission here on earth, and we just get to be a part of it but you'll never really be able to be a part of it at the fullness until we start doing it together as a church, as a body. And so no matter if the world says, yeah, whatever, church is whatever, it's kind of outdated, kind of whatever, whatever. We don't want to do that. And we're going to be constantly refining. Where are we at? What have we missed? Where, where are we off? You know, like, you look around, it, we are. A lot of churches are. <laughs> Like, whoa, okay, that doesn't seem like Acts. I'm not going to say any even examples because, you know, no low blows. But we have to ask ourselves the same question. And we do that together in community, on mission. Paying attention, remembering, being taught the apostles' doctrine, the word, having fellowship with one another, eating with one another, praying for one another, together. It's a beautiful thing what God has done and wants to do in us. It's really cool the first of the month, first Sunday of the month, we always get to do communion, so we're going to get to do that this morning. I think it's, it's a perfect place to start. This is all based and centered on Jesus. I mean, there, you're not part of, you're not part of the, you could be part of the local church showing up, but you're not part of the universal church. You're not really part of the local church if you're not in Christ. But that's simple. It, it just comes with a realization of I am in need of a savior. And I recognize I'm in need of, of like love that I can't find anywhere else. I'm in need of purpose I can't find anywhere else. I'm in need of, uh, I, I need to be transformed. I can't do that anywhere else. The gospel is a transformative message that takes dead men and bring them back to life. 
And so we do this in remembrance. So if you're a believer, you get to do this. If you're not, um, you can become one <laughs> by asking Jesus into your heart, recognizing that he's, uh, what he's done for you, and then confessing, I want that. I want to follow you. And then repenting and saying, I'm done with my old life, my own ways. I'm throwing away my old clothes that smell disgusting and whatever. And I'm, I'm moving on to a whole new thing in you. We have so many riches. And we've seen God working in and through the church throughout generations to correct and to move and to whatever. And yet he's been so faithful in being able to establish the scriptures and the, all these things that we could just hang our hat on and see that God has been faithfully using the church as his primary mission throughout generations to start hospitals and orphanages and, and recovery centers and all the things. We said, what is a church? All of them in some sense, like meeting all those different needs. But it's because people are the ones that are doing it. We get to be those people for such a time as this in North San Diego County in the year 2024. We get to be the church. So let's read the scripture and then we'll pray and we'll do, uh, we'll close and we'll have communion and um, you, can, you can take it back to your seat. Luke 22, verses 19 through 20. This is Jesus before looking right, about to go to the cross, referencing the old Passover to what he is, how he's the fulfillment. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. We do this in remembrance of him, because without the blood of Jesus, without his body being broken for us, we have nothing. We're lost. We're still dead in our sins. But the reason we have this opportunity is because he loves us so much. You are a cherished, he longs, longs for you, this cherished bride. And he has good works for us. He's created us for good works, that we should do them. We get to do them together. Lord, thank you so much for the, your body that's broken, your blood that was shed, that it brings forth new life for us. We have new hope because of what you've done. Lord, and we thank you for the church. The, as messy as it's been, you, you've continued to use it throughout generations. Lord, so help us to see the beautiful legacy and history we have in the church and to take our calling seriously as those who are, get to take the baton to the next generation, to those who are able to live out our, our own little our story here, whatever it looks like, you know, our own Acts-type story of how you've called us a steadfast church, body of believers, a congregation, how we get to walk this thing out together and how we get to join forces with the other local churches and the global churches throughout the world that are proclaiming the good news of the gospel, that we were part of something so much bigger because we're united by one message, one spirit, one, one source, scripture, one hope. 
So Lord, help us to find great joy in that and um, that it would inspire us. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to join us in person, head over to steadfastcarlsbad.com for more info. God bless.